The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. One day I shall come back. Yes, I shall come back. Tear? Sarah Jane? Welcome to the Doctor Who pod, proudly brought to you by SJP World Media. Have you just noticed how much now I emphasise it when I say the Doctor Who pod? Because I think we're better than everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even, I, I just realised how much I do that now. It's not an intentional thing, it just kind of happens. But anyway, I am Sai, coming to you from a space rhino-infested Gloucester, and alongside me, as always, to look at some time travel nonsense, is my good buddy, my partner in time, Mr. Dan Griffin. How are you, my friend? I'm not too bad, mate. I'm not too bad. It's good to be back talking some Doctor Who, but... um... I've got to be honest, mate, it's it's a bit bittersweet today. It, it, it's a funny old day. Um, some things come to light, and I'm probably going to catch you unawares when I start saying this, because we've not talked about it before. And, um, oh, what have I done? Well, no, it, I just wanted to say thank you. Oh, to okay. You. And to Mags, because it came out today that, that chain wrestling... Uh, is coming to an end on a Monday night. And I just wanted to take the opportunity on record to say thank you to both of you because you guys doing that mad little show have been such a positive fixture in my life since before you went live, since lockdown, when wrestling podcasts and, and starting my own and guesting on them was something that really, really got me through. And oh, mate, thank you. I'm not, not going to lie, I... Uh, it was a little bit of a lump in the throat moment when I saw that you weren't going to be live on a Monday anymore. And I was kind of surprised because it was just like, oh, I didn't, you know, so I didn't realise how much I'd come to enjoy just the regular, you know, the regularity of meeting, you know, chatting shit with the CWF and winding you two up. Um, <laughs> so I'm sad to see you both go, but real life always come first, as he says in the tweet. And I just wanted to get it on record uh, just once again to you, mate, and to Mags if he's listening. Probably not, but. Thank you to both of you, and thank you to Jane Wrestling. Oh, mate, I, I massively appreciate that. That's that's so kind. And it, I mean, when, when does this come out? This comes out Monday morning, doesn't it? So people will be hearing it. In, what, now it is a Thursday evening, isn't it? So this yeah. will be coming out in a few days' time. Because, you know, as you said, real life gets in the way. So our recording for when this should have come out got postponed and, and whatnot. So, so by the time this comes out, um, it'll be, things will be a little bit clearer. Um when you say it, it's the end of chain wrestling live on a Monday night, you're correct. Yeah. I'll just leave it there for now. Shall I? 
Yeah. Uh, well, I think I think anybody can see where you're going with that. <laughs> or there'll be some speculation, but no, don't, um, I'll find out along with everybody else. Yeah, tomorrow, I expect. <laughs> well, I'll be pissed tomorrow, so... Well, there you go. No, I, again, no, I appreciate all the kind words. It really is it really is nice to hear. We've had a few people message and so on as well, saying about it, and, and it's, it, it is lovely to hear. And when we do the show as well, the amount of people who... Well, you know, just weekly for this this show this show itself, the Doctor Who pod. Um, we've had a few people message via Facebook to the waiting room. Um, some people in the states who listened to things like the waiting room and so on. Um, the, the Quantum Leap podcast, if people are unaware, during lockdown and it helped them with that, and they were rewatching the show with us and so on. And we get similar messages here on the Doctor Who pod, and then people saying the nonsense of Chain Wrestling Live and so on helped them through COVID as well. It blows my mind that things we do. You know, you and I with this show and, and, and other stuff as well. It blows my mind that things we do almost to try and entertain ourselves in a way yeah. <laughs> <laughs> has built this little community. Um, it's not about the numbers, as we always say. It's, it's about having fun with our friends and so on. But you don't want to do something and, and at the same time think, oh, what's the point, I guess? And yeah. Yeah, you know, the amount of people we listen isn't masses, of course. The amount of people we get listening, sorry, isn't masses, of course, but it, it's 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 okay. But this show in particular has just took off. It's gone crazy. As I mentioned a few weeks back, um, we're getting regular numbers now that are still at the same level that I spoke about a few weeks ago. It turns out it's not a flash in the pan. So it's hugely, it's it, again, it's mind blowing and it's hugely, uh, you know, almost emotional for me that people want to listen to what I've got to say on certain topics, what you have to say with joining me, Dan, um, and so on. It's it's absolutely fantastic. I love it. So, yeah, thank you so much for for the kind words about chain wrestling. And again, thank you so much to everyone's kind words about this show as well, Dan. I guess. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's always nice to hear. Um, as I've said many times before, I, I don't pay any attention to the numbers because then it stopped being fun. I'm just here to chat shit with me yes. mate about a mad about a mad woman in a blue box. Exactly, exactly. And it is a mad woman in a blue box, um, a blue box that she doesn't want to leave hanging around Gloucester for too long because the phone box is here. When they get put in, they're done in like 20 minutes. Trust me. They smash all the glass out and so on to the point where they gave up in the early 80s. Uh, we, we have Fugitive fugitive of the Jadoon. First aired January the 26th, 2020. A Jodie Whittaker story and your companions are the excellent Bradley Walsh as Graham, the pretty decent Mandip Gill as Jasmine Khan, and the bland as fuck, boring as hell, Ryan Sinclair. Um, we're also introduced to a couple of other pretty well-known faces. Um, Joe Martin as Ruth, who becomes quite prominent uh, for obvious reasons. And uh, we have the guy playing Lee Clayton, who uh, I remember him as just being uh, the guy out of Game On, if you remember that programme. Oh, vaguely. I, I can't remember exactly what it was, but I remember the name. Yeah, it was about... Uh, they made like three or four seasons, and the first season had a different actor in it mm. as the main guy, and then the rest of them had the same three characters, and they were flat sharing. And it was Samantha Janus in the nineties during the Lads Mags era, you know mm. that sort of time. So you can imagine how that was. Um, this guy here played the the main character called Matthew, and then they had a ginger fella who was the brunt of all the jokes and was a bit of a wet lettuce, who was their other flatmate who got bullied into making the tea all the time. But the main pro- premise of the show was the three of them living together in the 90s 
Um, one of them being this incredibly attractive lady, one of them being a bit of a, a bit of a nerd, a bit of a wet lettuce. And then, then the Matthew, the guy who the actor is in this episode here, uh, he has, I can't remember the bloody name of it, but he has that thing, which means he can't leave his house. Agrophobia. That's it. Agrophobia. Yes, that's it. Normally in Gloucester, it's called house arrest, but yeah, agrophobia. You're correct. It's called um, attack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he also um, did, uh, Neil Stook, uh, he also did an episode of Murder in Mind in 2002. Oh, have I seen that yet? It was the episode called Victim. Yes. Yes. Oh, of course. Bloody hell. Yes. It's fantastic. It's absolutely it brilliant, that episode. He also had a couple of roles in The Bill, just for Steve-O. Everyone's been in The Bill. I think I've been in The Bill. Everyone's <laughs> in The Fucking Bill. He was in 91, 93, 94, 96. Fucking hell. Just reoccurring different characters all the time. Fantastic. And then 18 episodes in 2006 to 2007. Amazing. <laughs> the thing anyway, is, we're not talking Bill. about Bill. Well, no, The Bill, they can't explain it away, can they? In Doctor Who, it's like, oh, that was Martha's cousin who was in that episode of the Eccleston era. They can explain it away. In the bill, it's just like, let's just hope no fucker notices. You know, it's that kind of scenario. <laughs> he's, now, he's now a scathing uh, in Gloucester who's taking his shit in a phone box. Exactly, exactly. Uh, we also have a, a little bit of a cameo, I guess, a little bit of a brief return for um, Captain Jack. And uh, obviously there's a little bit of controversy controversy shall we say around john barrowman and accusations of this that the other whatever i don't really know um but the character of captain jack himself i always smile when i see him on my screen because it reminds me of when doctor who first came back and we had him in in those eccleston episodes and so on and it makes me it's it's weird oh i suppose new who has been around for what 20 years now pushing 20 years hasn't it so 20 years next year yeah there you go so it's weird talking about something in new who that makes me feel nostalgic about more new <laughs> who does that make sense it does it does but you know you gotta remember jack was last in it when tenant left first time around right and he, so that was 2010 2009, 2010, because yeah, Matt Smith right. came in around about 2010. And this came, this was what, 2021? Uh, 2020, 2020, I suppose, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, so first time I've seen the character in 10 years. And, and you know, we won't go into the allegations around Barrowman because, to my knowledge, there's nothing been uh, nothing been proven. And it gets yeah, into it's always the whole tricky, legal side it? of things. Yeah, it's always tricky. That, um, you know, when, you can, when you're committing... You know, committing yourself to audio and a, and a recorded format, you don't want to get yourself in any legal trouble. Mm. Um, but it was very good to see the character back because I really like Captain Jack as a character. Yeah, and me, and me. Uh, um, okay, we begin then, I guess, with the character that goes on to be Ruth and the guy from Game On. Um, they are living together and going about. Their, they're going out for their you know their businesses for the day. Um, and immediately, I don't like Lee. No, in, there's so much slimy about this dude. Isn't there? He's a fucking idiot as well. So, I mean, it starts off strong. We've got toast. Yeah, you know, always a good sign. Good start. Good start to a day. Um, uh, she's there having breakfast. Is is uh, the character will come to know as uh, as Ruth, and it's her birthday. Uh-huh. And Lee's getting up like, oh, I wanted to make you breakfast, and she just got sick of waiting. Set a fucking alarm. Yeah. You're yeah, an asshole. Give, come on, give your head a wobble, Lee. What's wrong with you, pal? 
and bless her, all she wants is a cake. Yeah. So, and he's saying he's all over it, and she didn't know how to work it. But yeah, he's immediately quite slimy. Indeed. Indeed. Now, something that's probably going to be running through the first part of this story, at least, is about where this is filmed. Because it's in Gloucester, obviously, and we meant we joked last week and, and so on that certain scenes of this are filmed about a fifteen minute walk from where I'm sat right now recording. The interior here of Ruth and Lee's um, well, flat. Which family member of yours is has this flat? <laughs> no, believe it. This is actually in Cardiff. Ah, fair enough. So it seems that the filming was split very much between Cardiff and, and Gloucester. And we'll get into a mistake I made in, in a few moments' time with, with regards to that. Um, Ruth goes off to work. She is a tour guide for Gloucester Cathedral. Uh, and, and I get a kick out of seeing Gloucester on the telly because it doesn't happen often unless it's some sort of police report. You know, so it's it's, it's nice seeing the scenery of the, of the docks and um, the the canal and all this sort of stuff and then the areas surrounding it and just as different scenes are taking place. Um, one scene we get to in a moment, actually, that is not filmed in Gloucester that I thought was, uh, is the coffee shop. And the, right, okay. that's in Cardiff as well, as far as I can tell. And the weird, the, the reason I point that out is because is it's quite strange. If you walk down a certain street in Gloucester, Gloucester city centre is primarily four streets, and it's based upon uh, the old structure of the city uh, back in, you know, the times, you, you'll be familiar with these sort of areas, but living in York, Dan, the sort of, you know, mm. Tudor times and before and so on even Roman eras and, and so on. So we had to enter the city centre of Gloucester. We had four four entry points, the North Gate, the South Gate, the East Gate, and the West Gate. You now have the four roads that make up Gloucester city centre being North Gate Street, East Gate Street, etc., etc., etc. So one of those roads is the one that leads down to the cathedral. Down that road, if you're walking towards the cathedral, which is the way they are going on this particular scene, there is a coffee shop laid out exactly the same the front looks identical and i'm looking at it and i'm thinking oh yeah i know that coffee shop when i went there the other day to have a look for the purpose of this recording i realized no that's not that's not that's not right this is again in cardiff but the coffee shop that i'm thinking of is exactly the same as this one just the other side of the road and an exact mirror image and that tripped that's... me out that's a that's a long roundabout way of saying that you're a fucking liar. Well, yeah, there is that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you could have just blagged it. Like, you know, you could have just blagged it and would have all just gone, yeah, fair enough. No, I can't do that. <laughs> what if, what if somebody <laughs> comes to Gloucester purposely to get a cake from that coffee shop and they're like, hang on a fucking minute. That well, bloke with that At least they won't have to deal with creepy Alan. Oh, yeah, the bloke who runs the coffee shop. What's wrong with that dude? So well, this, is, this is a weird start to the episode. Because you've got Lee at the very start, who seems a bit of a slimy knob, slimy, lazy, shithead. You've got weird. You've got weird Alan in the coffee shop, who's got a full-on dossier on Lee, and he's mooning after Ruth. And it's like, how is she putting up with all this shit? I mean, obviously, I'll say spoiler. The majority of people listening to this podcast will be Doctor Who fans. If not, I mean, I'm thinking you haven't reached you know, 15 minutes into the recording, which is where we are now. You've already turned off because you pressed play by accident, I'm assuming. <laughs> Majority of the people who are, you know, listening to this are Doctor Who fans. So when I say spoiler alert, it's a bit 
you know, redundant because people won't know how the story goes. So with regards to the character of Alan, ultimately, he's a fucking weirdo. He's keeping this dossier, as you explain, which is not normal behavior for anyone yeah. in any walk of life. But ultimately, he does end up being right in a way. Yeah, kind of. But there's a way to go about it. He's even creepier than Gunter in Friends. Yeah, yeah. He's got the, he's developed this weird obsession, and it gets it. It's somehow worse later on. So I know we're jumping around a little bit, but because we're on the subject, I've got to say about it. It's even weirder later on when Lee goes to pick the cake up that he's ordered from this guy. First off, it feels like they're just antagonising each other. Lee, order the cake from somewhere else. Yeah, Alan, man. Why have, Alan, why have you accepted the order? Oh, wait, you've accepted the order so you can just be a petty knobhead. Mm. I mean, not being funny, there's plenty of places in Gloucester that will make cakes. I mean, it, to be honest, my wife would have knocked up a cake. She does my, you know, my daughter's cakes for Christmas and birthdays and all and parties and whatnot. My wife would have knocked up a cake. We live down the road. Why has he gone there to sort that out? It just seems obviously it's for the purpose of the story. But I, I find that too coincidental at that point in the story. If that makes sense, it's it's too, it's too easy just to tick a box to get those two guys to cross paths and so on. I don't think you could have done it another way, as you said, Dan. I think. Yeah, they're just a pair of absolute knobs, mm. just antagonising each other. He's written, you know, uh, Alan's written, you can do better on the cake. Like, <laughs> so you decided to write that on the cake, the birthday cake, for the woman that you're so in love with. Yeah. Somebody's not thought this through. And also, again, coming back to Lee, what a shithouse. Because if I was fully aware that somebody fancied my missus, and then I was stupid enough to go and buy a cake from them for her birthday. And they wrote that on the cake. His reaction doesn't dictate someone who's who's that arsed. I'd be raging. I'd be like, well, first of all, you're giving me my fucking money back. And I'm going to spin your jaw now, you weird dossier collecting prick. You know? But that's the thing. It, it's got to such a weird point that they've obviously been like going back and forth like this for so long. That... Lee's just like, oh, well, can you just give it a rest? It's like, well, why have you let it get to this point? Mm. And Alan even offers him outside for a fight. Mm. Uh, he says yeah. it happens every time he goes <laughs> in. It's just weird. I'd like to see them to have a scrap, to be fair, because it'd be quite pathetic, but entertaining at the same time. Um, from the coffee shop, we cut back to uh, Reef. As well. I mean, I suppose we're jumping around a little bit. Um, Reef is outside Gloucester Cathedral. And she is trying to you know, drum up a bit of business. She, uh, that's, that's right, that made her sound like a hooker. That was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> she, she stood on the dark side of the cathedral trying to drum up a bit of business, handing mate, out leaflets and stopping people in the street. Mate, for a long time, trust me, this may sound weird, but there was a dark side of the cathedral. It's where all the students <laughs> used to go and smoke weed and all sorts used to go on there. But yeah, it's not like that anymore. It's all been done out quite nice. But like the museum gardens used to be in York when you get to the right, the far side. Yeah, it was. It weren't a good look back in the day, mate. It weren't, well, I, I used to enjoy it, but it weren't a good look. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so what Ruth's actually doing is she's trying to uh, drum up interest in her tours. Because she's taking people at 10, 12 and 2. She's putting yes. in a day's work. There's uh, there's a, a one old woman sat on a bench knitting. And she's saying that she knows all the interesting facts about Gloucester. And, she, and some snot nosed little shithead kid says, go on then. Yeah. And puts her right on the spot. She says something about Henry the King Henry III being coronated when he was nine. Mm-hmm. 
and the kid just looks at her and shrugs as if that's nothing. And then they said they filmed Harry Potter there too. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah. It's crap that. That makes me cross. Yeah. Because there's so much has happened in Gloucester, you know, historically and stuff. So much has happened. It's so just... many drugs. Yes, yeah, so many drugs. <laughs> the film <laughs> the film Outlaw with Sean Bean was filmed down here, by the way. There you go. Bastard. <laughs> uh, um, while she is doing this in an area that is basically it's relatively new where she is stood that was only built in the last few years it used to just be a, a, a patch of grass basically with a path there wasn't anything that mm. uh, ornate or decorative there um, that's now effectively where everyone sits to have a KFC on all those stone bits <laughs> dotted around because where when you look when the Jadoon arrive and you've got the the path that heads away from Ruth and they're all stood on it looking at her that mm. path heads up into the corner of the sort of courtyard area and there's right. um, an alleyway through the shops and down the, this alleyway is the Beatrix Potter Museum um, a, a little bar and a, a little tucked away kind of alleyway oh, place I love that yeah oh, it, it makes a fantastic little area and then you come out on the other end of it and there's KFC so Oh yeah, of course, and, <laughs> and so everyone boils their KFC, wanders down the alleyway, and sits in the cathedral. So all you see is just chicken everywhere, because it's just like it's just the thing everyone kind of does, you know. But anyway, this uh, yeah. little stone decorative area, she's she's talking away uh, about Gloucester, this lady, and so on, and then the Jadoon arrive. I got a kick out of this. Yeah, it's, we've not seen the Jadoon. I don't think we've seen the Jadoon on the main show, sort of a as a villain, so to speak, since the first episode with Martha. Right, okay. If I'm remembering, they may have been there in passing, you know, when they've been to the Shadow Proclamation and they're just in the vicinity. Um, but one thing I really like is, with the Jadoon, I've been watching the Sarah Jane Adventures as well, and a Jadoon pops up in that, is that with the language they've sort of made for him, you still sort of get the gist Yes. Of what they're saying to each other without having any understanding, just the cadence and the rhythm of the language and the way it's set up, you still manage to get a bit of an inkling of what's going on. I mean, obviously, it's you know, there's visual cues as well, and then just generally speaking, you know what the Jadoon are. Do you know what but, I get? Yeah, I liked it. I love the way that they because obviously they have their own language, don't they? Um, yeah. Which, first of all, you know, we see after this scene, we see the doctor in the TARDIS with, with her companions, and there's a Jadoon um, warning message beeped in, which the TARDIS yeah. doesn't translate, which is strange. The doctor has to do it. A little bit of yeah. a glitch there. But anyway, back to the Jadoon themselves and translating, they get that little thing, don't they? And they listen to somebody else talking, yeah. stick it in their <laughs> chest, and it goes, language or similar. And then they can, sp- I reckon that's bloody brilliant. Such a but, simple but little like- tool. And I like that, though, because the TARDIS not translating, it gives them the chance to do that. So yeah, where they just go, oh, sure, no, go, go, go. Then you just go, boom, ah, now I get it. It, it kind of brings the audience along with them, you know, with the with the other characters. It, it's, ah, yeah, I, I, I pop for that. It is great. It is great. Because, I mean, with Classic Who, I can't remember there being that, much said about translating chips and so on it must it it must have happened at some point but i bet there was long parts of the show with classic who if you're about watching it in the day where you know you're watching tom baker's era for example so you're watching like pretty much the whole 70s through to you know 80 81 
I bet that whole era, that, that span of wonderful, fantastic stories all over the place, kids in the UK just grew up assuming that all other planets spoke English. Yeah. Because there's no other explanation. Yeah. yeah. It's, and then it's like in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, they have something called the Babelfish. Okay, I think you've said about this before. Which is the tiny, yeah, the tiny little fish that you put in your ear, and it takes in sound and excretes. It, essentially, it feeds on the on the on the sounds and language, and then excretes it into a language you can understand. So basically, all language is fish shit. <laughs> <laughs> but again, that's brilliant, and I appreciate again going back to classic who, and I suppose some new who stories as well, but it's explained for us in new who, where everyone corresponds in English because obviously it's an English show, so it makes you know that's the way it's got to be. But yeah. well, not as well that it allows sorry, is that, not, sorry, not, ex- not explaining why sometimes mm. is a bit of an irritant to me so that simple little tool that the jadoon had and even the little fish thing you just spoke about it's so simple but it explains away why everyone can understand each other and i think that uh, it's brilliant storytelling yeah and it, sorry i was about to jump in there i'm a bit eager because I, I love this two-parter but the um the satan pit two-parter okay when they get there and tenant and rose can't translate the language because the tardis has never seen it Right. It's such a simple thing, but there's a, oh my God, that's like before the TARDIS, what the hell? <laughs> it's such a cool little device. But anyway, we're not here to talk about that because unfortunately, we've got to talk about this painful exchange in the TARDIS. <sighs> I I struggle. I st- well, first of all, I got a little note about the Jadoon since they've just arrived. Um, the Jadoon leader, apparently is named and referenced during the show as Paul Con Don, which was done as a tribute. It was was done as a tribute to um, BBC online producer, Paul Condon, who who died in 2019 and was a huge fan of Doctor Who. So P-O-L-K-O-N-D-O-N, Paul Condon. I I thought that was a lovely little touch. But yeah, this this exchange in the TARDIS, man, it just again, I think, shows how hindered Jodie Whittaker was as the Doctor, where she's got. We've, we've said it before, I mean, but to me, three is too many. It's too big a TARDIS crew straight away. Too many moving parts. Too many people to write for. Too many people they're trying to make interesting by crowbarring different factors in about them and so on. And then she's also hindered by having Ryan there, who is just fucking pointless. So I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna defend the actor. I think Tosin Cole is hindered by the direction. Oh yeah, in totally. This, in, in the script, as well, it's he's it, delivering what are meant to be these heartfelt lines, and they've not had him put any sort of emotion or inflection on it or anything like that. Mm-hmm. He's just there saying, "We're your mates. Just... We do. We're, we're here for you." And oh. it's like, oh god, yeah. He had the, he had the emotional range of a dry dog turd. Yeah, like, it's yeah. just and it's a shame because I'm I'm sure Tosin Cole's a great actor. He wouldn't have got the job if he wasn't, but he got fucked. But by I, all but again, you look at you look at Bradley Walsh. Then right, I love the character mm. of Graham, but I think. I like Graham because that's Bradley. Graham is Bradley Walsh. Let's be honest. He's not acting, acting. Is he? That's <laughs> yeah. who he is. This, this is literally the guy who hosts the chase, being allowed to travel through time. This is, you know, that's who Graham is, right? And um, yeah. I like 
Graham because he is Bradley Walsh and Bradley Walsh is great. I grew to like Yaz and then went off her again a little bit because I think the actress was very good in what she did as opposed to the dialogue that any of these people have been given. And yeah. the same goes for, uh, for, 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 for Miss Whitaker, Jodie Whitaker. Obviously, she's incredibly talented. I've seen her on other stuff, and she is bloody fantastic. And even some episodes of Doctor Who, I go, ah, yes, I get it now. Yeah, but then there's so many that I look at and I think, oh, this is a bit cringe. What's this about? Do you know what it feels like? It feels like that they've been filming it. And obviously, a lot of episodes have different directors and all sorts. But it feels like there's somebody there higher up than maybe even the director, possibly Chibnall. I don't know. But somebody there just going, that'll do. Mm. Yeah. Just doing all these actors a disservice and the writing isn't, some of the writing isn't the best. Like, one of the things is, we've been recording nearly half an hour. And yes, we've done our usual tangents and all that. But we're not, I we're not even about 10 minutes into this. Mm. Because it's tried to cram so much in. And this is, I've, I've said so many times that when you've got storylines that are taking you all over the place and there's so many things going on, you either feel taken along for the ride or you feel like you're being dragged along, you know, <laughs> behind a, you know, you're like shackled to a charging horse or something and it's just running away and you're just like, what the fuck's going on? Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. There's a bit of a muddle and so on. I mean, my impression of this is like you said we, we, we've spoken for half an hour already and we're kind of 10 minutes into the episode i've done a lot of talking about gloucester obviously and um, like you said we've gone back and forth on our usual tangents i actually when you strip it down and really think about this episode i don't think there's masses to talk about apart from a couple of obvious huge the roof for example and what ends up going on there i don't think there's masses going on here yeah, maybe not, but it, it just it, it took a long time to get everything down on on let's say on paper on my laptop. Yeah, okay. Because it was like I know I'm a bit a bit of a stickler for detail, and it's you know it's been sort of a long running joke between us. And, and people who listen know you know I like to write War and Peace in my notes, but even then it was just a lot of fast talking, quick mm. moving, and just not not letting much land. And yet, the, the the start of this, you know, the, the set, obviously the setting up the doctors hunting the master, and, and that's going to be the, you know, big thing. But I don't remember the Kasavin thing ever being resolved. What was that? Because uh, the, the the reference in the uh, in the sort of exchange where they're saying the Kasav uh, the the people who disappear uh, the, the those beings are from uh, Spyfall. Oh right, yes, okay. The alternate dimension things. I don't remember that being resolved no I don't. i'd have to go back and watch episodes because i've not rewatched the witcher oh, yeah. as much as i should as much as i normally would um, i say sorry i say that i don't remember it being resolved i just had to have you remind me what it was in the first place so i'm yeah. back to remember. <laughs> <laughs> but they're doing this thing you know the doctor's obviously desperate to find the master um because you know as much as they're enemies they are friends and and all the rest of it and she, she's revealing that she goes back to the ruins of Gallifrey and she leaves the crew back at, back on the TARDIS because they ask too many questions. Mm. But it was just... And then, the, so they're trying to... It's, it's half, caught halfway between trying to have a meaningful conversation and Jodie Whittaker's trying to add all this extra gravitas to it and doing a good job, 
Bradley Walsh is there doing his concerned granddad routine, which is brilliant. Yaz and, Yaz and Ryan, uh, well, Yaz is a bit irritable, which is, again, another aspect to it. That's fine. Ryan's there. Sort of. Yeah. <laughs> They're doing all this, and then they immediately try and get some forced humour in there, talking about a platoon of Jadoo near the moon. Yeah. Yeah, see that sometimes again. Sometimes it's it's a bit hit and miss for me with with Whitaker because I've spoke before on the show here that sometimes she's a bit too jovial, a bit too lighthearted, and there's not always. I don't know. It's difficult for me to explain. But there are times when she delivers a line that is so jovial and lighthearted, it it almost goes too far the other way, if that makes sense, and it just seems a bit silly. Because it's placed incorrectly, maybe. I don't know. What do you think? It's, it's, a, it's a clunkily written exit from that scene. Right. Okay. That's what it is. The, the, the wanting to get away from it, the wanting to say, right, they're having this meaningful conversation, then Jadoon on the moon. Mm. And because, you know, the fact that they're actually giving some Jodie Whittaker something to sink a teeth into, it's, it's nice. It's, you know, I'm fine with that. But then the wanting her to immediately pull a 180 and go back to it and, and then try and distract with humour when what it really needed was to be, and again, this is all hindsight and from, you know, just personal opinion and all the rest of it, lean into the, into building anger and frustration and just just leave it. Yeah. Yeah, I get right. you. I'm like, sense. just, you know, she's not ready to talk about it. Mm. Let her do a thing. She's a fucking time lord. <laughs> Well, yeah, this and is then it. and then just have that extra second, and then just be like, right, okay, sorry, everybody, t- you know, we're good, thank you, and then you can lean into it because you've you've sort of dissipated all the tension, yeah. rather than having that tension there, and try and then just going, and then just going platoon of Jadoon on the moon, and then doubling down on the on the joke when they end up in Gloucester. Oh, with a canal. <laughs> and it just, it just, it just didn't. Yeah. It just did. Yeah. That was funnier because it was, it felt kind of legitimately fucked up. It felt very natural, mm. but yeah, it just didn't land for me the first time. And it's like, I said, it's maybe nitpicking and diving into the minutiae stuff, but I was watching it and it, it just felt quite jarring. No, I'll right get you. That. Yeah. I'll get you. Um, effectively what we have now, is again a, a lot of moving parts we've got a few different things going on all at once uh the doctor and his uh, sorry and her i'm gonna keep doing that i apologize but the doctor <laughs> and her companions um uh, arrive on in gloucester um they're going out looking around seeing what's going on and so on and we lose graham he vanishes after oh, being in, it, in it, the it, cafe it, just as he gets the for a sandwich you know <laughs> That was the best because Graham, in true Graham fashion, gets distracted by food. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lee's already run out of the coffee shop at this point because they've had his exchange where he's been offered out for a fight. And Graham looks at the cake and laughs at it, says it's the worst cake he's ever seen, and then promptly disappears. But what, what we've seen as well at this point, we've got the Jadoon cataloguing people in Gloucester and looking for a fugitive, and the old lady who's doing a knitting on the bench near Ruth, she's dead. Yes, get zapped. Because she, she, made a, she made a run for the barrier and disintegrated. Yeah, she wants to go to KFC. 
That's, that's what she was going. Yeah, instead she got deep fried. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, Lee looks like the target for the Jadine. Yeah. The cake man, Alan, then hands over his dossier, which makes me think, okay, there's a purpose for I can see what they're trying to do here. Oh, he's a, he's a fucking narc, is Alan. He's a little slimy bastard, but I can understand, it may not land, but I can understand what they were trying to write in here, I suppose. Uh, he then gets zapped as well. Um, for, does he bump into the Sorry. Yeah, I have, I think he... He try, the the you do try and do something, he hits one of them, and you just get assaulting an officer, sentence, execution. Yeah, I've done. never been happier to see a sad character die. Yeah, what a little snake bastard. Um, the doctor then, without Graham, arrives with the Jadoon outside some flats. They're preparing a weapon because they feel they have traced their fugitive down to one of the flats in this block, which we know, obviously, as being uh, Ruth and Lee's flat, of course. And we're heavily suspecting Lee at this point. This is where our our attention is being diverted to. Um, We're going to get to the Captain Jack stuff in a minute because Graham has been zapped up to see Captain Jack. That's where he's disappeared to. But in between the Jadoon preparing their, their, their weapon at the flats and so on, the Doctor arriving, and Captain Jack being with Graham, I've got a note that simply reads, Ryan is a fucking loser. And I honestly can't tell you what it's in reference to at all. <laughs> I think I can. Okay. So the Jadoon are preparing the temporal isolator to trap the fugitive, who we think is Lee. Also going to cause a lot of fallout. The Doctor has turned up with the psychic paper, the best we love psychic paper, don't we? We do. Um, do. Turn up with psychic paper, and that's made the Jadoon absolutely shit itself and say, uh, saying that the Doctor's an Imperial regulator. Mm-hmm. So I think, oh, you know, the Jadoon are very, uh, very protocol focused and big thing of, you know, about ranks and, and all that. And of all people, Ryan tries to pull rank on the Jadoon. The Doctor does it, because the Doctor calls out the lack of jurisdiction using yeah. a Class 7 enforcement field and the isolator being an outlawed bit of kit. The Doctor knows what she's on about. Ryan tries to sound tough and sounds like a dick. He hasn't got the right tone of voice or the right conviction or any... He's got nothing about him to warrant being able to stand there and be like... Well, it just takes me back to, you know, where are your mates? All the time, you know? Yeah, it, it, it's flat and it's monotone and it must, must be a directorial decision to have him be like that. Mm. So that, that's why I can never blame Tosin Cole. Because he, uh, it, the seeing it, seeing him, seeing him play Ryan, it has to be exactly the way he they wanted him to play it. Yeah, I suppose I'd have to watch more with him in other than Doctor Who. I think to get uh, uh, to gauge that. I think, but okay, yeah. that, that's just my logic. Um, but the Doctor negotiates five minutes time to go in and and talk to uh, Lee and Ruth, and then finally realizes that Graham's gone. And right, oh no, wait, do you know what it is? Ryan actually says, "What was not my responsibility." Oh yeah, what a piece of shit! Yeah. How, how did you <laughs> behave like that towards Graham? What a dick! Yeah, well, it's, it's this whole it's this whole thing that in the early days, wasn't it? And it, it, it hadn't quite dissipated yet. It was always not me, real granddad. Mm, yeah, but he's the one who's fucking there for you, pal. Do you know what I mean? Oh, there's, there's an episode where um, 
I'm pretty sure there's an episode where Ryan's dad comes back. Yes. And that all gets very awkward. Mm. Yeah, there is. Yeah. Yeah. We'll get, we'll come to that on another occasion. I feel, um, we have here then, I suppose, two separate scenes going on. We have Graham with Captain Jack, who thinks he is the Doctor, but we'll get to that in a sec. And we have the Doctor <laughs> yeah, with, uh, yeah, the Doctor with Lee and Ruth in their apartment, and they're saying basically, look, somebody here or something here is what they want. What is it? And everyone goes, we don't know. So they go have a look around and they find a box in a secret compartment in a wardrobe that is not human and it turns out the box belongs to lee before we develop that a little bit more captain jack with graham this is just fantastic shit isn't it oh it's brilliant so yeah <laughs> just, he, he doesn't miss a beat as jack does he he's all no. he's at his back he's all swagger he's on a, a ship that he's stolen there's a weird white room with some glowing triangles that it, that it can't move. The crane can't move because it'll set off the laser spikes. And he, <laughs> he starts he starts the flirting immediately. Yeah. And he, he's, he's like, you're dropping by the way, looking good. And he's like, coming to join you. You can be excited now. You know, giving it up <laughs> on that. And he just, he just gets in the room like, you missed me, right? Gives him a big, <laughs> gives Graham a big hug. Plants a smacker right on his lips, and Graham just looks at him and goes, "Have we met?" And it's the, it's the exact words out of Jack's mouth are still cheeky. Regeneration can't change that. It's like liking the grey at the temples, kind of distinguished yet still yet still sexy. <laughs> and it's just and Graham. Oh, Bradley Walsh is just awesome. He's just a. I think he's just a naturally talented actor. Yeah, he's great. He looks so confused. And he's just, you know, he says, how are you been, Doctor? And Graham's just sort of like, ah. Ah, Penny has dropped. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, it's just so good. And he, he's, the, the next time we see him, <laughs> Jack's, Jack's there saying that he's, a, he's annoyed. He wouldn't fly the ship because he doesn't even have a bar. And he's still checking that Graham really isn't the Doctor. And... Uh, <laughs> It was like the quantum scoop read the wrong signal, which, you know, as we all know, quantum scoops can be like that. They're quite inaccurate, mate, yeah, especially the early models. Yeah, yeah and then this is obviously quite an early model. Um, Jack introduces himself, saying that it goes way back with the Doctor. And then <laughs> the look on his face when uh, when Graham says she. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's just like got to see. It's like, <laughs> down, boy, stop it. You know, it's, it's like every time Jack introduced himself to, to anybody, in the tent here, and David Tennant's got to stop it. Yeah, oh, it's so good. It's so good. <laughs> it's, to me, it's one of the highlights of the episode. And you've got it came out of nowhere. Yeah, exactly. It was. There was no. It was very well done. Very well done. Um, on the other side of the coin, we've got the stuff going on in the flat that I feel before Alien Lady turns up it could have been dealt with a little bit quicker. There are moments where it felt like they were retreading the same sort of dialogue more than once with regards yeah, to yeah. whose box is this? We don't know. Well, are they here for someone? This isn't human. So whose box is this? We don't know. Okay, well, they're here for something. And it's a little bit like, okay, you could have maybe, especially when you're under the the time restriction that they're imposing here, that they've got you know, a few minutes before the Jadine basically zap them to buggery. It's that situation of, yeah, yeah. I, don't know. I don't know why that tickled me so much. Zap them to buggery. Yeah, <laughs> it's um, 
I appreciate maybe trying the, the, the repetition of stuff done quickly can maybe seem like time is passing quicker and build up a bit of suspense. But here it doesn't quite land. It doesn't quite work for me. It, it, I can see what they're going for. Uh-huh. They were trying to use the countdown, build the tension, the doctor's rapid firing, just like, tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me. But yeah, yeah the dialogue's repetitive, it, and it feels longer than 90 seconds. It goes yeah. 90 seconds, 82 seconds, 40 seconds, 23 seconds, and that 23 seconds lasts about five minutes, mm. it feels like. But yeah, it's... Lee eventually comes clean, doesn't he? And then said Yaz and Ryan go out to stall the, the Jadoon. But they're zapped away as well, aren't they? Yeah, so they go, well, they go up there to stall and say, arbitration complete, turn the isolator off and you can come in the flat and yada, 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 and the Doctor and Ruth are escaping down the uh, down the fire escape. And then, yeah, they get zapped up by the Quantum Scoop as well. Mm, yeah. Um, well, Lee's, it, it's, I do quite like this, though. This was a nice little touch. Lee's taking like a last look at Ruth or, or a photo of Ruth. Says he's keeping his promise. Sends a text that we don't see and then surrenders to the Jadoon. I quite mm-hmm. like that. That was a good little bit of mystery. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And uh, again, things that reveal themselves later on. Great stuff. Great, great storytelling. You know, um, here we've got Ryan and Yaz being zapped away, as we mentioned. And then Alien Lady arrives in the flat. And Amanda she Gat. Gat, okay. Now, she obviously is, she knows Lee. Um, and then eventually kills Lee. <laughs> so the two yeah. side characters at the beginning, we were not fond of. They've both gone, Dan. Hooray! Yeah. Oh, that's where I know her from. Sorry, I'm just I'm quickly looking up uh, Rita Aria, who plays Commander Gat. Um, she was in. She played Lila in uh, the Umbrella Academy. That's where I know her from. I've not seen that. It's very good. Bit of time travel involved. Okay. Okay. I'll do I know that. I, don't, I, I know that'll get you immediately. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I do like a bit of time travel, right? Yeah, somebody gets somebody time traveling and then gets it wrong, gets stuck in the future, finds a way to travel back into his old body, but is essentially then a fifty odd year old man stuck in a fifty stuck in his fifteen year old self. Oh, interesting. I could have phrased that better. Interesting. Okay. Anyway, um, <laughs> the the Doctor and Ruth uh, run to the cathedral then. And this, again, when they run inside, is not Gloucester Cathedral. This is, uh, I believe, this is somewhere in Cardiff again. It's just, the Gloucester Cathedral seems like it was only used for the exterior shots, which is a shame, but there we go. Um, we twig then that the fugitive is Ruth. Yeah, so, now, so just go back to Commander Gat a little bit. She had a great line saying that the Jadoon were like sledgehammers to crack a nut. Ah, that was good. I enjoyed that. And then they go on a whole thing. She goes on a whole thing about Lee and being a faithful companion and, and something called a, the box being made of chronomaluric alloy. Being oh, very yes, because that's how, yeah, the trace of and it's almost like him being sentimental. Yeah. For. That was good. I enjoyed that. that was she's, good. Uh, she's already clocked the hidden weapon. That she's taken out, and inside the box we find a uh, some sort of service medal. Mm. And that was just a really good little bit of, again, building the mystery. Yeah. And thinking what the hell's going on. But yeah, this bit in the cathedral is is pretty good. It's pretty bloody good. This is where it starts sort of kicking in, because um, Ruth gets a text. And we just see the start of it. it says, follow the light, break the glass, and she starts hallucinating. 
Mm-hmm. And just and get images what... of like the this this lighthouse and this area, sort of uh, in the middle of nowhere, I guess. Yeah, which for some reason reminded me of the the film The Ring, which I only watched recently. Even though nobody hallucinates in that, but you see images of like a you know lighthouse and wells and, and all this random stuff that doesn't make sense until later in the film. Again, I've not seen that. I, I know that's that's the last that climbs out the telly, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's, to be honest, I've watched the Japanese version and the American version. Neither of them are that great. Um, okay. Certainly not as scary as the, it was made out to be 20 years ago. But anyway, I digress. Oh, there, mate. Yeah, it's <laughs> not that good. Um, the, so the, but then the Juduna in it, it there's, a gr- there's some great like overhead shots inside the cathedral. Mm-hmm. Yep. So you can see all these, you know, all the rhino soldiers surrounding him. And uh, we find out Ruth is bio-shielded. And just out of nowhere, while the doctor's trying to negotiate, threatening to overload the guns, out of nowhere, Ruth kicks the fuck out of all of them. Oh, she's a badass. And rips off the head of the lead rhino's horn and sends them all back to the ship. And then just drops to the floor like she's some like intergalactic Jason Bourne. Like a sleeper agent kind yeah. of, yeah, what's going on with me? What the hell have I just done? Yeah, <laughs> again, I quite enjoyed that as well. And we, we get the, straight away, the, the impression, the feeling, and, and the ex- explanation, of course, that the lighthouse that she sees and, and all these other images that are flashing in her mind are of her family home. And the doctor then starts prying, asking questions and says, well, that must be where we can get more answers if that's what's in your mind now. We need to head there. The whole time this is going on, the doctor oddly hasn't once thought of her companions. Now, I appreciate that they're just trying to move through the story quickly and so on, but it's a bit of a weird one that she doesn't even just once mention them. Yeah, it is a touch. Um, I mean, it's weird enough for me to have noticed it, I suppose. Is, is yeah, well, it's the same thing that's happened with Graham. Everybody seems very distracted. Yeah. In this one, you know, I, I get that everybody's like focusing on the task at hand and things like that, but it's also, you know, you knew where we were going, where are you? But then I suppose then the Jadoon have come in, so they're hiding or they're tied up with the rest of the Jadoon, what, you know, but they still could be, you know, could be in danger. And it's, but for all that, while they're in the cathedral, uh, Joe Martin gives, there's a great scene mm. where she's panicked and scared and crying and giving a history. She's Ruth Clay, she's 44, she's a tour guide and she's scared. That wasn't, you know, that wasn't her. She's freaked out because her whole existence is sort of changing and crumbling around her. Mm. I mean, could you imagine being in that scenario? Yeah, sorry, could you imagine being in that scenario? That would be... That is exactly how any sane person had yeah. react. It was brilliant. Joe, um, I mean, Joe Martin's fantastic anyway. Every time we see her in Doctor Who, and I'm presuming her in other things as well, but I've not, I don't think I've ever actually seen her in anything else because I, I don't watch that much TV. Um, but yeah, I really like that bit. Yeah, really yeah, did. me too. I, I actually think this is this is where I like her the most. Yeah. When we have her as Joe the tour guide, sorry, Ruth the tour guide. Yeah. Um she's she is literally just playing a character to set up the rest of the episode, isn't she? So there's not much there to sort of go on or whatever. Yeah, fair enough. Nothing offensive, nothing bad. It was it was decent enough, you know. When we get the reveal later on and the scenario that happens later on, again, it's good. But mm. this to me is when she's at her best, at these moments when she's confused and 
has this badass side to her that's kicking space rhino ass and then forgets all about it again a minute later and doesn't know what's going on and this is this to me is the best of the episode for her for me mm. yeah it is absolutely is um yeah well yeah i can't really add any more to that you're right and i think it does well particularly it's particularly well you know for all we we're saying before about the, sort of trying to shift the tone and not quite managing it this is sandwiched between two bits with Captain Jack and, and you know, all the, all the sort of kind of inherent daftness that comes along with him. Yeah. And this doesn't suffer for it. In fact, it makes it better. It makes it hit more. This is how to do it. Yeah, light um, and dark and, and, you know, tension and comedy. Yeah. There's a way it works. And Doctor yeah. Who, especially the character of the Doctor them, themselves, often does this so well matt smith uh, i'm going to appreciate so much more recently in recent years with how he can go from comedy quirky dude to dark and serious tenant was always fantastic at it as well uh, and we see it with you know tom baker would be shouting and ranting and then all of a sudden that smile would come across his face doctor who's always done good doctor who does this well and this is it doing it well yeah and yeah, so uh, the only, again, with the Jack stuff, because he's there, he's piloting the ship and, and all the rest of it, and having a bit of a laugh, you know, oh, we've, we've scooped up the wrong people again. Whoops. Grind's, <laughs> still, been a, Grind's still been a dick to calling him cheesy and, and saying he's not surprised working with lower-end equipment. It's like, really? You've just met the guy. I know he's, I know he's technically kidnapped you, but come on, have, have a thought. Um, I can this, believe uh, the guy. I, I can believe Yaz as a character. I can believe Graham as a character. I just can't buy into Ryan as a character whatsoever. Imagine being, imagine just, being trapped in a pub and, and having to go for a pint with Ryan and Rory. Um, I'd kill myself. Did <laughs> <laughs> we beat him? Well, this is true. I, I'd end up drinking too much and getting myself arrested for beating the shit out of them or something. Because let's be honest, neither of them are going to fight back. <laughs> <laughs> Unless Rory's still got his, uh, his art on handgun. Yeah, even with that, I'd slap his little mush about. Anyway. Um... <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Um, but yeah, so they're doing all this and then we get the setup for the best Jodie Whittaker episode prior to Power of the Doctor when Jack's telling them that the, the anti-theft system's kicking in, so he's going to be attacked by nanogenes. Lovely little throwback. Tell, yeah, love that. And he needs to tell the Doctor, deliver the message, beware the lone Cyberman. They don't know yes. what the Cybermen are yet. Um, he fills them in a little bit. Uh, you know, the, the Cybermen, Cyberman Empire's in ruins, but the Alliance have sent something across space, and he's preset the scoop to send it back, saying, don't give the lone Cyberman what it wants. Mm. And Jack disappears, the TARDIS crew do too. And it's just like, ooh, okay. But to bring a character back like Jack, because it was pretty hard. I can't remember if it was completely out of the blue. Yes. I, 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 like, the sort of week beforehand. The way I remember it was Jack coming back was, comp- was a complete shock to me. Sat there watching it on that particular Saturday evening, Saturday afternoon, where it may well be. Jack. So that means it was heavily marketed for six months. Yeah, of course. I just missed it. And, um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, even at the beginning of the episode, a big, a big roller banner across the bottom saying Captain Jack returns this week or something. Yeah, but um, <laughs> yeah. As far as I remember, Jack turning up was a surprise. 
But the big surprise for me that proper made me sit there and go, oh, my, it's the, it's the thing that I take away from this episode the most, aside from a moment we're coming to shortly, is when Jack mentions beware the Cyberman. Beware yeah. the local Cyberman. Because that then straight away makes me think, okay, the Cybermen are coming back. And that got me so excited. Yeah. It was brilliant. It's a, it's a great tease. Because you know it's not going to be in this episode. Yeah, exactly. And you're thinking, how long is it going to be? You know? Yeah. And then you just wait for it. It, it, it was very, very well done. Mm. Um, and then it all just sort of goes down for a little bit, which you need to take it down because you've had the big review, had the big thing with Ruth and the bio shielding and who is she. You've got the big mystery about the lone Cyberman, don't give it what it wants. And then it's just the doctor and Ruth in the car. Yeah. And the doctor sort of gauging a memory and trying to test her and, and just having a bit of a prod. And a poke, just seeing if she can sort of flicker anything, any memory off. Now this, this was good. Because Jodie Whittaker here is awesome. Yeah. Being inquisitive and, and little tests towards Ruth and so on. Ruth is great here as well. And I'll tell you what, what adds to it as well. Because they're driving along, so obviously it's straight away. I'm, I'm a big fan of building tension in television or movies by making things claustrophobic. Yes. So when we've looked at, you'll have to remind me the name of the episode, the tenant one that we reviewed recently where they were all in with a blonde lady um, who ended up copying their voices and so on. They, uh, we, haven't re- we haven't reviewed Midnight. Oh, is that what it's called? Midnight, right. Okay, well, that, that episode is, is done and it's claustrophobic and so on. There's an episode of Quantum Leap where the whole thing takes place on a little biplane. He's the pilot, and there's somebody who's very ill in the back of the plane, and the whole thing is very claustrophobic. And this works here as well, because it's just the two of them in the car. And you get shots of them driving down these country lanes, and it's almost a contradiction, I suppose, in what you're seeing, because you've got these vast, wide, open country spaces, and then it cuts back to the actors, and they're very close together in this little car. Mm. and it's back and forth back and forth and then when they arrive at their destination which is the lighthouse you then get even more added to the the whole feeling of this the whole vibe of these particular scenes and these exchanges between the two because Ruth then starts coming across a bit bloody creepy which is something yeah. that you've not had up until now you felt sympathy for her because she doesn't know what's going on you felt fear for her because of the scenario and then obviously you felt sorrow for her because of her loss she's she's lost her weirdo lee so you you know you've had all this <laughs> <laughs> you had these different Sorry. emotions for her but now all of a sudden you're a bit like well fucking hell, hang on she's giving me the ebgbs a bit now i, I ain't liking this <laughs> you know you're and, exactly right it, it, it's it, there's a weird duality to this episode in that there's so much that annoys me. Yeah. Sort of early on, but there's so much good in it as well. Oh, totally. Totally. And and this here, uh, through the whole, in the, in the lighthouse, I guess, the doctor asks Ruth, can I go for a look around? And Ruth just says, sure. But it's the creepy starey eyed delivery is just like what the fuck is happening now and then she Uh, says I'll get a fire going yeah and I'm thinking oh is she going to turn into some big scary wobbly armed monster and try and eat everyone what is going on you know (laughs) and then Ruth we kind of get again the use of two different scenes running alongside each other and we're cutting between the two. 
sometimes it can be overdone and sometimes it can be quite hit. We, we spoke earlier on about having the comedy and the seriousness and cutting back and forth. Sometimes with action movies yeah. or whatever, you can get it back. And it, sometimes it doesn't always work because one feels more important than the other or, or whatever. It doesn't quite hit. However, here we have the doctor uh, looking around and then the gravestone, one gravestone outside, incredibly close to the road, is apparently where Ruth's parents are born because this was a childhood home. Interestingly enough, Charlie was the first one to point that out to me. If there's two parents, why is there only one gravestone? And I was like, well, that's a great I, question. I never tweeted that even on, said on two watches. I didn't. I didn't until she said, and I was like, well, I imagine that they they w- were buried together, you know, in the same in the same plot of land and, and so on. So it's just what they wanted. It was their wishes and uh, and all this. So, you know, I explained that away. And then she went, okay, why would you dig a grave right next to the road like that when you've got all that grass? And on that occasion, I couldn't answer. Yeah. I was like, uh, I actually don't know. But anyway, the doctor is scanning around, scans the gravestones, looks at the uh, uh, sonic screwdriver and gives a face to say, uh, so you know something is coming up with this gravestone. Whilst this is going on, well, while the doctor starts digging, I suppose, which I suppose as a guest is a little bit potentially bad manners as a guest in someone's house. To yeah, randomly the doctor, doctor yeah. doesn't do that. Um, as this is going on, Ruth sees what reminded me very much of an old, almost like when I had it in junior school, the old red plastic box with break glass. And when you broke the glass with a little hammer next to it, it was set off the fire alarm. And Ryan Williams got um, suspended for three days for taking one of those 30 centimeter shatterproof rulers and smashing one and setting the fire alarm off when I was about 12 in Brilliant. junior school. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was a dick anyway. But anyway, if you're listening, Ryan, fuck you. Um, we, <laughs> I don't mean Ryan from the show. I mean, Ryan, from, well, no, fuck him as well. Um, Ruth hits the break glass because this is part of the text message that has been, she has received from, from Lee. And then we get the glowing and so on. And after a couple of seconds of reacting to what's happening, you twig, that's pretty much regeneration energy that we're familiar with from when the doctor has changed from Eccleston to Tennant, Tennant to Smith and so on. Which again, I think is a brilliant thing New Who does. It's iconic now what that looks like. Whereas in Classic Who, every regeneration was different. We have now know what that glowing and, and that energy and that effect means. So something is happening, Gallifreyan, Time Lord, E, whatever, yeah. to, to Ruth. You have Whilst, that moment. You have that moment where yes. you start, that moment of realisation was like, oh, what? Exactly. exactly. Time Lord. Shit, 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 shit. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm just going to jump in again. It's when you see the break glass, you see the energy, and it's flitting between the doctor digging and you hear the whispers when it's at Ruth. The yeah. whispers are brilliant. The audio in this is fantastic. Yeah, really, really well done. And then I mentioned earlier on, there's a couple of moments in this episode that really stand out in my mind. And the the, the line from Jack of, you know, beware the lone side man was one of them. The second one is when the doctor is still digging and then hits a bit, hits something, moves some dirt around. Yeah. And there's half of the police box, half of the TARDIS. Oh. And that reveal is just like, holy shit what is going yeah. on it's not even this a, at the time just blew my mind oh it's not even a why that's a tardis down there because obviously it is but the yeah. only way we know that's a tardis 
is because it looks like the Doctor's TARDIS, because obviously yeah. their, their TARDIS is broken. So it's not just a reveal that it's a TARDIS. That's the Doctor's TARDIS. And yeah. it's like, what the fuck? It, and <laughs> oh, blew my mind, mate. Absolutely blew my mind. Oh, it did me too. Like, I remember watching it at the time and just been like, just open mouthed. Mm-hmm. Just what in the fuck is going on? And I was so excited for this storyline to see how it played out, to see where they were going with it. And I still think, I still think there is great potential in the Timeless Child storyline. And I'm glad that they've not completely abandoned it now that Russell T's back. Yeah. Because it just makes so much sense going forward. If you're gonna if you're planning to run Doctor Who indefinitely, right away to have as many regenerations as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it, it just makes too much sense. Yeah, of course. I mean, capping it, at, we, we spoke about it, was it not last week, maybe a couple of weeks before, about yeah. cap, capping it at the 12 or 13 regenerations mm-hmm. was very much a classic Who thing they spoke about. Mm-hmm. And it was Colin Baker in an interview who actually said, I don't know what they're going to do about that. I'm assuming they thought the show wouldn't run this long, which I thought was a brilliant line, you know, when yeah. <laughs> he was leaving as the sixth doctor, which is, which is great. Yeah, that is brilliant. And and this was one of the things that I was really hoping in the Chimbal area that, that would sort of come about. And, and it kind of has the, the flow. It came sort of through this series and into the flux and but then at the sort of end of the uh, end of the flux, it's been left a bit open-ended. But I guess it had to be because Chibnall was leaving, and you don't want to burden the incoming writers and then showrunner with with too much. So it's something I would like to see them go back to because at the minute it's a massive loose end. With you know, there's got to be remnants of division out there that we never really saw the flu- the damage from the flux acknowledged. Yeah. Oh, because like most of the universe, a good portion of the universe was devastated. Yeah, and now it's kind of going on as if it never happened. Something has to come from it, doesn't it? Otherwise, it's going to be a case of. I mean, but again, the, the nature of Doctor Who. Sorry, Dan. Yeah. The nature of Doctor Who is they could deal with it in the next six episodes. They could deal with it in sixty years' time. It, it, it's yeah. just the nature of the show, isn't it? Yeah, and, and to be quite frank, I wouldn't blame them if they did retcon a bit of the flux. Because while it was very cool and going back and watching them is a lot of fun, because uh, I did that recently, it it left the universe in disarray. But then it never even addressed that in Power of the Doctor, really. Yeah. You, I'd... And this is where it comes with, with them saying to Chimnall, and when we said about the Kasavin earlier, where they're just like, you know, Chibnall sets off this big, this brilliant thing. It's like, you're going to resolve that, and it just like turns to the next big, brilliant thing. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I mean, the, obviously, I'll get too sidetracked. You know, to, to, we're getting on in time now and so on. But I feel yeah. with the flux, that's a, a whole different podcast conversation. That's mate, that's half a series. <laughs> because I mean, I don't mean I don't mean reviewing the flux itself. I I, I agree with you. Reviewing the flux is going to be a, a monumental thing for us to do. But the the conversation about the flux, because I'll be honest with you, I watched the flux when it aired. And I thought, visually, this is fucking amazing. Because it was. It was incredible, the stuff we were looking at. But at the same time, when we got to the end of it, I didn't have a fucking clue what had gone on. <laughs> now, I've rewatched it with Charlie, 
when we did our when Charlie watched it all through first time around, and I got a bit more on that occasion. So I feel if we rewatched it for the show, I would, you know, pick up a bit more and understand what's going on a bit more. But I remember at the time, somebody who we we joke about my memory and the fact that I've never seen this, never seen that, of course. But when I'm into something, I'm I'm, I'm fanatical and I'm crazy on it. And the fact that I watched those episodes and each week I was like, okay, I enjoyed that, but I can't tell you why. And I can't tell you what's going on. Yeah. Was because of the vibe. Yeah, I had. There was a lot of, I'll just sort of say this because obviously we do need to get on with, with what we're actually talking about. Yeah, uh, yeah. With the flux, it, week to week, it sort of unveiled a little bit more. It wasn't until I watched them effectively, you know, within a couple of days of each other that I got a better sort of fuller picture of what was going on. Mm. So okay. waiting, a, waiting a week between them didn't really do it a lot of favours in hindsight. I needed to watch the whole thing within a couple of days to get it right, right in my head. Well, perhaps that's when we uh, when we finish recording here today. We've got a couple of projects we need to discuss anyway with some uh, bigger stories upcoming from the Doctor Who world or the Hooniverse, as it's now referred to, I suppose. Yeah. So we can, yeah, we can talk about plans for that i feel that's, that's that's quite a project coming up but yeah we'll talk about that in a little while um so effectively we've got the doctor well our doctor jody whitaker with a half buried tardis we've then got the doctor as in roof the tour guide doctor stood there going you know yeah what are you up to mate with a gun that she's just found in her outfit already. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Which I got, I know it's not the same and it's nowhere near as bright or garish or over the top or anything like that, but I got little kind of Colin Baker vibes from her doctor's outfit, mainly the shirt um, with the different multiple yeah, colours, shapes, and it felt a little bit 80s, but 80s in a retro good way, you know, and I, I kind of got a little, because it was a bit garish, a little bit clashy. I, I, I liked that. I thought that was good. Yeah, it was just quirky enough to be a doctor outfit. Yes. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, I like that. But it's the, I tell you what, it's the confidence that Joe Martin swaggers into that into that scene mm-hmm. and saying, you're probably a bit confused right now. I broke the glass. It's all come back to me. And that's my shift. Let me take it from the top. Hello, I'm the Doctor. I'm a traveller in time and space, and that thing buried down there is a TARDIS. Gives the full introduction. And, the, and Jodie Whittaker, the, the, the Doctor as well, is just stood there like, the fuck? Mm. <laughs> but what I loved it, uh, we always comment on TARDIS interiors. Immediately, I clocked that it had the round things and it was quite old school looking. Ah, oh, the control uh, panel, yeah. the, the, the console, I suppose it gets called online, isn't it? It's very... It, I, I, there's, there's different versions of the classic Who TARDIS. You obviously have what Hartnell used and then went into Tenant. They had um, a slightly different console for Pertwee, I believe. Um, you then had the wooden one that Baker used for a little while, and I think they changed it when the new producer came in, uh, Nathan Turner. Mm. They changed it again. But it's one of those things where, as a kid, watching the VHS tapes and, and, and the TV show itself, I wouldn't have noticed. Because it just looks pretty much, it looked very similar to me. But as an adult, I can see little slight differences. This here, yeah. because the control console itself, it is classic Who based, isn't it? Let's be honest. It's very much Hartnell, yeah. Triton era. and But it's got a slight green tint to it, which made me think back to Pertwee. 
when we first went to color in the 70s mm. um and then obviously the, the 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 round things on the wall they're all white the floor is what it's very basic very stripped back and it made me straight away think okay this is an old school tardis layout for a reason when is this doctor from and there was a couple of really small clues in there as well that were dropped in the fact that roof's doctor refers to the tardis as my ship that's yeah. Hart- that's hartnell only hartnell ever did that after well triton might have once or twice but it got called the tardis after it was my ship to hartnell not the tardis and then roof doesn't recognize what a sonic screwdriver is when yeah. the doctor starts scanning so that dates are pre-triton because triton was the first doctor to use a sonic screwdriver so straight away with the layer of the tardis the reference to my ship and the sonic screwdriver or not recognizing sorry the sonic screwdriver we're, we're, we're already getting hints or clues to say yeah this doctor is before what we know already yeah. aren't we sure don't tell just yeah. drop those in there and the people are putting it together on their own as, as Ruth is saying, you know, here's who I am. I'm, I'm trying to wake the tardy, so, you know, sleepy old girl and all that. Apolo- you know, apologising to the doctor for getting caught up, caught up in it and just having no time to register what Jodie Whittaker's saying. Mm. And Jodie's there saying, you can't be the doctor. Ruth says, why? She says, because I'm the doctor. And you get the usual sort of disgust from the older doctor saying, Really? And then says, how did I become all rainbows and trousers that don't reach? <laughs> Which I thought was a great moment. And yeah. the, the, but the, then now that we've got it out in the open and they're trying to figure out who's the future Doctor, and it just puts the cat amongst the pigeons, because at this point in time when this aired, we didn't know any of the Timeless Child stuff, we hadn't had any of that. So we're thinking, where does Ruth, where does Joe Martin fit in? Mm-hmm. And it sparked off so many thoughts and theories and everything like that. It was brilliant. Like you say, the Sonic uh, the Sonic stuff is, is brilliant. You know, Ruth's claiming to be smart enough to not need a Sonic. And then Jodie says, well, what about the rifle? You know, you don't need a lot of brains for that. But then it was starting case Gat came for Ruth, and Ruth used to work for Gat, but Jodie doesn't remember being Joe, uh, Joe Martin, and Joe Martin doesn't remember being Jodie Whittaker. It was brilliant it, it, it's really well done isn't it the only um, thing i didn't like sorry so the only thing i didn't like is that jody finally figures out that they use the chameleon arch it's like fucking hell even i'd figured that out yeah come on <laughs> um this is all incredible uh awe-inspiring stuff we've had jack return we've had mentions of cybermen returning um we've got a tardis buried in a grave too close to a road um we've got uh, a new doctor we've got all this stuff happening and it's to the point where i can understand in a way why the doctor has completely forgotten she has companions because so have i at this stage i'm thinking I, I, they've not entered my mind now for a little while and yeah. then all of a sudden the jadoon start beaming the tardis up to where they are and i'm like oh yeah shit that's still going on totally forgot about that <laughs> it sucks you in doesn't it Mm. It draws you in, and that's all you want to know about. But then, oh shit, you do. They're still there because we've we've forgotten that Ruth has ripped off the uh, the captain's horn and absolutely disgraced the platoon leader. Mm. So we've got all that to deal with. Gat's still out to get them with some sort of like immense like intergalactic special forces operative. There is still quite a lot of peril. 
And like I say, we still don't know where the rest of them are. Yes, indeed. Um, the Doom and Gap kind of then have a standoff with the two Doctors after they brought them up onto the Jadoon uh, oh, ship. The two Doctors have a standoff with each other. Oh, yes. The the the, the, the tour, do- tour Guide Doctor is telling our Doctor... <laughs> Gloucester Doctor. Yeah, okay. Gloucester Doctor is telling our other Doctor that don't say you're the Doctor because they're after the Doctor and the Doctor is me. If you say you're the Doctor, then they're going to kill you because you're another Doctor and, and so yeah. on. So... From there, we then kind of learn is Gallifreyan as well? Yeah, so that again dates Gat because at this mm. point in Jessica's timeline, Gallifrey is dead. Mm. Yeah, and that's a that's when Jodie Whittaker goes for the curveball because Gat's already taken Ruth's weapon, the Jaduna there, and then you know the, they're arguing about contracts and who, who gets to kill who and all the references. Uh, all the rest of it. And the Doctor decides to drop a bombshell, revealing that Jodie Whittaker is the future Doctor and that Gallifrey is dead. Yes. But, but there's a couple of really good bits in this. Because Joe Martin looks at Jodie Whittaker and says, is there even a word for how dumb you are? And Jodie just looks at her and just goes, Doctor? <laughs> Which I absolutely love. That was a real fun little moment. And again... It was a moment of levity done right. Yeah. Not like early in the episode. And then we get the <laughs> one thing I found funny as well was the Jadoon. The Jadoon captain saying subsection nine five one triggered two fugitives, two payments. You know, just just all business. It. Yeah, and Gat absolutely freaking out because there can't be two payments because they're because Joe Martin and Jody Whitaker are effectively the same person. Two time lords can't occupy the, the same time lord can't occupy the same space at the same time. Mm. It's a bomb. It's an abomination that will rip the time streams apart before they get near Gallifrey. It's like holy shit! And then dropping the bombshell, Whitaker, saying that she's seen Gallifrey destroyed twice: first by war, second by a lunatic who she's still trying to find. And it's just whoa. <laughs> yeah. Um... This is all done at gunpoint, obviously. Gats has took the gun off um, Gloucester Doctor. Uh, And Gloucester Doctor is constantly saying, don't shoot it, don't shoot it, don't kill it, don't don't shoot it, and all this sort of stuff. Never once says, don't kill us, or don't shoot us. Just says, don't pull the trigger. Um, We also get a little bit of the classic Who Three Doctors contacts bullshit that I straight away cringed at. I was like, I I appreciate it was momentary. Yeah, I appreciate that. And it being momentary was, I think, a necessity because they had to show Gat what was going on very quickly because we're running out of time in the episode anyway and we've got to get to... You know, we couldn't have a whole conversation back and forth trying to convince her. It's literally a case of contact, ER, have a look at this, love. And she goes, oh, shit, okay, you're telling the truth. Sorry to have And then we move on. That's kind of how it had to be. But when they do the contact, I still go, oh, God. Yeah. But I think it's more bad memories from Classic Who than it was bothering me from this, maybe. Yeah, this was done fine for me. It was brief, it was quick. Showed Gat the ruins of Gallifrey. Gat fires the gun because she thinks it's a trick and, and it backfires because it's been rigged to, uh, rigged to backfire. Mm. And Jodie Whittaker's trying to take the moral, moral high ground. Um, Ruth's there saying, told her not to. And what I like is it, uh, Joe Martin gets, a, gets to have a proper doctor moment when the Jadoon tries to call... 
call bullshit on the crime and, and execute her. And Ruth says it was an accident. Besides, a Jadoon Talwak freighter like this moving at 80,000 clicks an hour entered interstellar space 12 seconds ago. It's effectively international waters, so no law, yes. no crime. <laughs> Brilliant. I love it. And that. it's just like, you have no power here. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. Um, Gloucester Doctor, which is a phrase that's going to stick with her and I for her whole run in the show if she ever returns. Yeah, sorry about that, Joe. Um, <laughs> uh, she drops off our Doctor. And that's kind of where we're, we're leaving her for now, isn't it? That, you know, Gap has blown, has shot herself. Yeah. The Jadoon can't do jack shit. We don't know what's going on with Jack and the Cybermen and all this. Sort of, lots of things set up for the future. But we kind of get the conclusion of what's happened for this particular episode here with Ruth just dropping the Doctor off. Mm-hmm. And then her companions just come running around the corner like, oh yeah! It's like... <laughs> Okay, that was a bit, you know, yeah, I think that to get them out of the way. But again, this makes it even more tricky for me when the TARDIS crew is the size that it is. It's easy to take one companion away, write them something important to be happening whilst they're out of the way. If you need them away from the Doctor for certain things like you had to have for this particular story, it's easy to do that. I mean, look at how Ace is written with the McCoy era. Um, Sarah Jane and Leela, brilliantly done in uh, the Tom Baker era, taken away and and, and given their own um, storylines that are happening in the background. I mean, in Leela's case, it's because her and Baker couldn't fucking stand each other and didn't want to be on screen at the same time. But that's a story for another day. Um, <laughs> it's mm-hmm. taken. It's easy to it's easy to get that done with one companion. When you've got a group of three, mm-hmm. it makes it very difficult to apply that accurately, doesn't it? Or, or well, sorry, it's better term than accurately. Yeah, it's it's not the easiest. And I get what you're saying. It's and this whole thing, it, it, it's all very um, the TARDIS crew find the Doctor because the plot needs them to. Mm. It couldn't be yeah. that they were just knocking about at the TARDIS and the Doctor walks up to it, mm. which would have been much a lot more logical, easier, you know, or even just they see the Doctor from afar as they're at the TARDIS. Or what about when a little throwback to when we had Mickey in the garage and Billy's Billy Piper's mum, Rose's mum, Jackie Tyler, there you go, I couldn't find her name then, in the flat, and they hear the TARDIS noise in the distance and come running. Joe Mines, yeah, they hear Joe Mines' TARDIS. Exactly. You know, that's... But, again, it's a bit of a nitpick, I suppose. Um, But I I do think you're right, Three three companions is too many. Yeah, it's um, difficult. But what, just going back to it, one thing I did like was the the sort of frosty departure for Joe Martin, where she just looks at Jodie and says, "I'd quite like you to get off my ship now." Mm, yeah, very good. But and again, I, again, I suppose, uh, and I'm only thinking about this now in massive hindsight. So I don't know if it was done intentionally. It might be purely coincidental, but mm. we're establishing now that a Gloucester Doctor is pre Hartnell. Hartnell was a grouchy old bastard. Yeah. So it's kind of a continuation of that mindset. You've also got the war doctor knocking around around that time. We're going back into that time for the time. Um, no. Oh, no, because that was pre-Eccleston, wasn't it? After, it was yeah. pre-Eccleston, post-McCoy. Yes, yeah, okay. But either way, you've got Hartnell, who was a grouchy bastard. And you could see Hartnell saying, get off my ship, man. Yeah, but so, still being kind of polite about it. 
Yeah, and then going, mm, yes, mm, well, yeah, mm, no. <laughs> but then you're thinking, you're, then you're thinking, what happens to this doctor to make that doctor? <laughs> to make Hartnell that grumpy, if it is just a you know a straightforward regeneration. Yeah, there could be twenty seven in between. Who knows? Yeah. Well. Yeah. So I'm just thinking as we get to the end of this episode, um, we have another sort of another. It feels sort of a bit elongated Tardis scene because the Doctor is obviously like struggling to deal with what's just happened. He's mm-hmm. visibly shaken, trying to figure it out. And everybody's yammering at her at once. And she snaps yeah. out of it at the mention of Jack's name. And as usual, Graham's the only one who, who gets to the salient bit. And he's like, look, I've got to deliver this message. He says, you know, you might, I just need you to hear this message and then we can sort your shit out. Mm-hmm. And delivers the Sandman message, a fallen empire, all the rest of it. Doctor said, oh, yeah, he's an old, jacked an old friend, cheesy, but good cheesy, blah, blah, blah. Um, the Doctor fills them in on what Cybermen are, and we're getting this sort of catching everybody up. And then the Doctor fills them in on who Ruth was, Ruth being the Doctor in her past, but it, it can't be. And then we're getting, we get a good little speech from Jodie saying, time is swirling around with the Master Jack, Ruth, something's coming for me, I can feel it. And Ryan's just like, it's okay, you've got us. Yeah, well done, mate. Fuck me. And she, and she, she kind of calls her up. She's like, Ryan, I've lived for thousands of years. So long I've lost count. How long have you been here? You don't know me, not even a little bit. And Yaz tells her off. Ryan sort of monotonely sticks up for himself. But Ryan was not the one to deliver this bit. No. And he said, you're the one who brought us together and saved them and loads of others. She's the doctor. She's in, you know, whoever she was in the past or will be in the future, they know who she is right now. And that's that's well written. But they had Ryan deliver it in the way they wanted Ryan to deliver it. So we talk like this, and it's all monotone, and there's no emotion. Mm. And we know who you are right now. We're your mates. Oh, and then you've got Bradley Walsh there stealing the scene, getting a little bit misty-eyed with his happy granddad smile on his, you know, little sad granddad smiles between saying that the family and that the wither either way. Uh, it's uh, it's just Ryan, isn't it? I don't know who I hate more, Ryan or Rory. You hate Rory more. You reckon? Yeah, I think you're quite apathetic towards Ryan. I'm not. <laughs> By comparison. Yeah, I suppose. I suppose. Um, well, and then we, we get... get a big alarm, no, don't we? Then. Yeah, get yeah. A big alarm. Big, big, big Nino going off. Nino. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> and the doctor accuses the TARDIS of distracting her. <laughs> yeah. But then things, I like this because it, she uses multiple alerts across three continents on Earth and just like, quick look. Because it, it, the TARDIS is distracting the Doctor. And that feeds into the next episode. And I quite like that. Even though it's a separate story, just, this is how we're getting from there to there. Yeah, that is good. That, and that was something that happened a great deal with certain Doctors in, in Classic Who as well. Um, Peter Davison's era would have sort of three or four stories that weren't linked-linked, but would have that sort of passage into the next story, so to speak. And I, I, I agree with you. It's, it's good when that happens, isn't it? It is, yeah. It's just a nice way of of drawing a line on under what we've just seen and sort of parking it. This is being parked for now mm. because this thing's come up. We'll get back to this, yeah. but we're going to this. So there we go. That is Fugitive of the Jadoon. 
Uh, what are your final thoughts then, Dan, in summary before I uh, put forward mine, I guess? Yeah, so very, so very briefly, it's a mixed bag. There's a lot going on. At times, the pacing isn't brilliant. It's a bit all over the place. One minute, everything's happening all at once, and then it slows down a bit. But it gets better when it gets slower. And we, we've, so we've been through the nitpicks that we've got on it and the annoying bits and, and all the rest of it. But when this is on song, it is very good. Mm. Okay. There's no getting away from it. It, it. it built a load of intrigue at the time. Going back to it, it was really interesting to see you know, to revisit it and remember how I felt and just been like, oh, God, you know, can't wait to see how this plays out. It was a good, overall, it was a good setup episode for the rest of the series. And there was a good bit of fan service as well, which always goes a long way with me. It won't be one of the top-ranking episodes when we come to the end of it, right. to be quite frank. But it's far from the worst thing Doctor Who's ever done. It is, it's decent. I think yeah, that's okay. the fairest I can be about it. I'll tell you what, you, you've literally stole a word that I was going to use myself. It's decent. I think the the good bits are very, very good. Let's be honest. They are very good. The bad bits, the ropey bits, drag it down. So I suppose on average, it, it does just kind of sit in the middle. It's, it's all right. It's decent overall, you know? But again, the yeah. good bits, I, I suppose if you want to liken it to something else... You can have, uh, uh, you can watch a football match that's boring for eighty nine minutes. Nothing happens, but then your team scores a ninetieth minute wonder goal to win it. You're going to always look back and favorably on that match, even though if you watch the whole thing, it's not as great as you remember. But that moment stands out for you. That's how I feel about this particular story. There are moments that stand out and make me go, "Oh, that was so good," but then watching it in its entirety there's quite a few lulls and dips and characters I weren't fond of and bad dialogue and fucking Ryan and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but the the, the yeah. plus points were, were very good. So I, I agree with you on my, <clears throat> excuse me, on my end of season uh, rankings countdown that we do every, every season here on the Doctor Who pod, this isn't going to be very high, but at the same time, if I could handpick moments, there'd be moments from this that would rank very high. But there we go. That's just my, my thoughts. Um, before we depart, Dan, what are we doing next week? Uh, we're talking about Doctor Who, mate. Fantastic stuff. So, whereabouts on <laughs> <Same>. Twitter? <laughs> Same thing we do every night, Pinky. Try to take over the world. <laughs> so next week, we are going to Colin Baker. Uh, okay. A story chosen for us by... Uh, Chris Lewis, and we're looking at Mysterious Planet, the four-parter. Ooh, and that is the first story in Baker's last season, which formed the the whole season, formed the Trial of a Time Lord story. So I'm very glad we're covering this one first, because we haven't covered any other parts of Trial of a Time Lord. Um, going kind forward... Of, yeah, I was, sorry, I was just going to jump in going forward. We're going to have to insist that we watch these in order than ours. Yes, of course. That's exactly what I was going to say. We're going to have to... Um, <laughs> we mentioned talking about how we're going to cover 
uh, the the flux, and we're going to have a conversation about that. We also need to look at how we're going to cover the Tom Baker season that makes up the tees, keys to time, um, because that's all uh, the same story broken up in a similar way to Trial of a Time Lord with Colin Baker. So we need to discuss how we're going to do those, I think. But yeah, we do need to... I'm glad that we're covering this one first, because it is the first one. I don't remember masses... The Trial of a Time Lord stories all kind of blend into one for me a bit. There's there are there are certain things that definitively nail down specific points in the story. For example, Mel turns up during the Trial of a Time Lord, but not mm-hmm. in the story we're about to cover. Um, Perry departs, but again, not in the story mm-hmm. we're about to cover. Um, and Brian Blessed's in one. Nice. But I don't think that's this one either. But we'll dive into it. Oh, and the lady from the Bisto advert. She's in it as well. But there we go. So, there we are. The start of Trial of a Time Lord uh, next week here on the Doctor Who pod. A four-parter with Colin Baker. Um, Overall, I've enjoyed our conversation today. It's nice talking about little parts of Gloucester where I've sat and smoked weed and eaten KFC and then space rhinos landed and shot an old lady doing her knitting. Before <laughs> I, think, we... I think that was the mushrooms you had with the KFC. <laughs> Before we depart then, Dan, do you want to let everyone know whereabouts they can find your good self online? Oh, go on then. I'm over on that Twitter X Twix thing at Dan Griffin 21. Usually tweeting a load of old rubbish about wrestling or sci-fi or Marvel or something like that. Uh, if you want to hear more of me talking about stuff, check out Unbooking the Territory at UTT Podcast, where we look at the first and last of professional wrestling and have a number of side projects. Unbooking the Territory, looking at the life and times of Tank Abbott, Unputting the Territory, where in the first season it was the being the elite championship, changing hands with Gator Golf. And Unstacking Dadatory, where we're looking at every surviving match involving Big Daddy and Giant Haystacks from 1977 all the way through to Wembley 1981, when 18 million people tuned in to watch them have a bit of a grapple. (laughs) And my last side project is right here on SJP World Media on The Volley, where me and my strike partners, the magnificent Matt Lewis and Connor from Connor Knows Footy, uh, predominantly cover Premier League games and provide alternate commentary, but we have dipped our toe into the MLS, which we will be doing more in the coming weeks, uh, and also recently did uh, covered the uh, the AFCON final, which was a lot of fun. Yeah, awesome stuff, mate. Awesome stuff. Uh, anything I'm involved in, you can find via the network that carries this show. So that's at SJP World Media on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Twitch, um, all over the bloody place. On Facebook, there's a page you can like and get links to our content there. But there's also a private group you can join where you get access to the live shows if you don't want to watch on YouTube or anything like that. They are also streamed in the private Facebook group. Just uh, click to join and we'll go from there. And that's where you can take in shows like The Volley uh, and various other live content we have um but most importantly you can find and follow this show itself on facebook and twitter that's at the doctor who pod that's at the d-r-w-h-o-p-o-d at the doctor who pod there we go right next week bit of colin baker a bit of trial of a time lord and the lady from the grave advert it's gonna be good times it's gonna be good times <laughs> I'll don't, speak tease, to- don't, don't tease an northern boy with a gravy lady <laughs> <laughs> i'll speak to you next week my friend Catch you soon, bud. And to everyone else, as always, thank you for listening. I feel like I should make a joke about the uh, the Jadoon not being horny anymore after it had its horn ripped off, but I just can't be bothered. <laughs>
<laughs> it's easy, easy, isn't it? Easy. It's like mocking Gloucester for being a bit of a shithole. It's too easy. Yeah, I won't have too much low hanging fruit. There we go. And trust me, people in Gloucester are low hanging fruit. Oh, that was harsh. Oh, that's, that's, that's just the balls hanging out. <laughs> it's the end, but the moment has been prepared for. I don't want to go. That was a nice nap. Now, down to business.